0: Hello and welcome to Elucidations, a philosophy podcast recorded at the University of Chicago. I'm Matt Teichman. And I'm Mark Hopwood. With us today is Jocelyn Benoit. White's visiting professor of philosophy at the University of Chicago and Professor of Philosophy at the University of Paris One. And he's here to talk to us about the philosophy of perception. Jocelyn Benoit, welcome. Hello. Happy to be with you. So I guess the first question we'd like to ask is a lot of people might wonder what interests philosophers specifically about perception. You know, we might ordinarily think of a perception as the sort of topic that neuroscientists study or the cognitive scientists study or that psychologist study, what's the nature of the interest that philosophers specifically take in perception?
1: Yeah, I think that, of course, it depends on uh, the kind of conception you might endorse in philosophy. It's clear that there is no unity about that among philosophers. But uh, in my view, what is essential to philosophy, it is some kind of requirement of conceptual analysis. So the take that philosophy might have on perception, it's necessarily something about the analysis of the concept of perception or the kind of concepts of ours that might essentially depend on perception. From that point of view, there's a substantial difference between a philosophical take on perception and uh, the kind of approach that might be developed on the side of hard science. Personally, I don't take that the task of philosophy about perception is to develop any kind of theory of perception. It's much more about conceptual elucidation that uh, might help us in avoiding some kind of confusion that might be possible about the concept of reception as it is used either in the ordinary language or by more substantial theories like the ones of sciences.
0: Okay, so rather than going into the lab and asking people about what they see or some such experiment. A philosopher is interested in thinking about the concept of perception. Um, What does the concept of perception entail? How is it used? And is interested in disentangling confusions that might potentially ensue when we sort of drift off and forget about how the term perception is actually used. I wonder if maybe we could talk about an example of this kind of conceptual analysis. What's an example of the kind of confusion someone might fall into that a philosopher would aim to dissipate? I think,
1: first, maybe I should add something about the relation with uh, empirical observations. My view is not at all that the philosopher shouldn't pay any attention to that. I think it might be pretty important, obviously, about such question as perception. But uh, the point is that the aim of philosophy as such is not to present any kind of alternative theory to the one that, for instance, might be developed by empirical psychology. Philosophy shouldn't be any other kind of psychology. There's no competition between philosophy and psychology about all that. But it's clear that some uh, results of psychology might be absolutely decisive in order to make full sense of uh, the concrete use we might have or some concepts about perception. And uh, from that point of view, there might be a link between conceptual analysis and uh, more empirical views. Though things are not completely apart from one another, there might be connection but the point is much more a point about the purpose of the theoretical approach as such. About possible conceptual confusions, I think that there is one that is really substantial and that is enduring in the philosophical tradition about perception, and it's something philosophy should cure. It's, uh, let's say, that very strong tendency to approach that question of perception always from the point of view of some kind of theory of knowledge. Uh, With that idea that perception, it is essentially something that should be dealt with as some kind of knowledge, and then the question is, how far should we trust or not that knowledge? What are the conditions of possibility of that knowledge as such? Uh, How far that knowledge should be opposed to other kind of knowledge and such things? I think that typically in that, there is some kind of substantial confusion, because Of course, that kind of question might make sense in some definite context. It might be, luckily, something that makes full sense. For instance, I can wonder whether I have seen you or someone else on the street, and it's possible that I'm mistaken. Those are things that happen. It's something about perception. But what might be completely misleading, it would be to suppose that that kind of issue might, let's say, amount to the problem of perception in general, as if it was something intrinsic about perception as such, as some kind of essence of perception. Basically, what is it perception? To perceive it is just, in some sense, to be in contact with the world, to be in direct relation uh, to all that. And of course, the fact that we are in direct relation to all that, that opens up the possibility of a lot of mistakes and a lot of problems. Also, it opens up probably the space of some exploration. All that is true. But the point is that we cannot transpose all those problems to, uh, let's say, the perception as a root and that all that presupposes. And I have the impression that there is a very strong tendency in uh, modern philosophy up to contemporary philosophy just uh, to stay with that confusion between, let's say, the background problems and uh, the problems that are local in that field of perception. And from that point of view there is something confusing in the way some kind of epistemological tradition deals with the problem of perception. And However, I have the impression that in the contemporary debate that issue of perception has become, essentially, some kind of epistemological topic. It's something that is supposed to belong to epistemology as such. I find, personally, that in that there is something deeply mistaken, there is some kind of basic mistake, some kind of category error. If you deal with perception like that, it's not exactly about perception. It's something that derives from uh, some consideration of perception, but it's something that just misses the basic nature of perception, that is to say, to be in, to be in contact with, as some kind of presupposition.
2: So, it looks like the problem often is that the way that philosophers will present the issue of perception to start off with is to present what you call the local problem. So, maybe it's pointed out to me that when something is a long way away, I might not see it as it really is. or the same thing you and I might see differently because our sense organs are somehow set up differently. We respond to the same stimulus in different ways. And so we all recognize these kind of problems, but then somehow these local problems that we can recognize in specific cases become transposed to the general level. So now perception as a whole looks like a mystery. It looks like it's possible that perception in general might fail to represent the world properly or that there might be some kind of problem with the idea of me ever getting in contact with the outside world. And then, as you've said, you get this kind of question that's maybe a legitimate philosophical question, but it might be the wrong way of looking at perception as a topic. I mean, that seems to be a fairly pervasive way of introducing the topic in contemporary philosophy. I guess one other train of thought that you very often see, particularly in introductions to perception, is A picture of how that works so we've talked about perception as the way that i come into contact somehow with the world and one way you could think about that is well out there there's all this stuff all of these objects and light hits them or they emit vibrations and those reach me as sound or i touch them maybe and all of this data strikes me all of this what you might think of as raw data comes in in the form of waves and beams but at that point that's not something i can think about so my mind has to go to work on that now now i have this raw data in my mind i have to do all kinds of work to make that into concepts something that i can think about is that a picture that seems right or is there some kind of confusion in that
1: I think that there are a lot of problems involved in that. First, probably there is that problem about the explanatory task of philosophy, or whether philosophy should have an explanatory purpose or not. I think that, at some level, that makes perfect sense to try and explain perception, how it works. It's something about uh, physiology, and also uh, something that involves some uh, physical points as such, for instance, points that belongs to optics. And it is a task for the scientist. At that level, it makes sense to try and explain. Uh, The question might be, for instance, what kind of equipment should I have from the physiological point of view in order to be sensitive to uh, some definite phenomena in the world? And uh, that makes full sense. And it's something the philosopher should be aware of and that is interesting to him. But as such, it's no philosophical point. After that, it seems that the philosopher usually introduces some kind of alleged over-explanatory task with that kind of transcendental question, because technically it's exactly what the transcendental is about in the tradition of modern philosophy, about the possibility of perception. And the question becomes, how is it possible, for instance, for me to have access to the outside world? And uh, it's very strange as a problem, because uh, from which point of view is uh, the question asked. And technically, we might say, from which outside of world? It is as if I were outside the world. And the question now is, how is it possible for me to get in touch with it? But that's very strange, because, of course, I'm essentially in that world. And the contact has always already been made In that sense, maybe there is something misleading, even in the idea of contact. I was avoiding to use the word access, which is the typical word of the so-called epistemological tradition in modern thinking. The modern thinking, since Descartes is obsessed with that problem of access, how is it possible to have access? And I was substituting for that word the word contact because it seemed to me that if you speak of contact in that case it's something much more immediate and the problem of access apparently is uh, already solved we shouldn't ask anything about that and however you ask how is it possible to have contact with of course i think that it's really tempting to ask that question there remains that from tendency to ask if there is a contact how is it possible but in my view probably it's exactly what is the most basic mental cramp of the modern philosophy of perception, that temptation to apply to perception that question of possibility in some kind of transcendental sense, not in the empirical sense of a question about the kind of equipment we should dispose of, because that question in some sense is pretty clear, it's a scientific question that might be decided in considering concrete situations. But it seems to be a much more general question. How is it possible to go outside? And in my view, there is something deeply misled in that question. And in the same sense, probably it is the symptom that the modern philosophy, since Descartes, has some problem with perception. I mean by that, some problem just to accept the mere fact of perception. If one asks that question, that means that once has already gone astray from perception. And from that point, of view, the question about concepts is very interesting because, typically, in asking the question about concepts and about our capacity to apply them to something that is given, allegedly, perception, we have already stepped back. We have already taken some distance from perception. My basic hunch about perception is that what is the most substantial aspect of the concept of perception is that perception, it is exactly that from which it's impossible to take any distance. Of course, at some level, it's possible. It's possible epistemologically. It's possible when I check my perception and when I ask, is it the case that by perceiving that I got a correct knowledge of it, let's say in the case in which perception is used as some piece of evidence. In that case, of course, that problem arises. But the point is that, in that kind of situation, it's no longer, strictly speaking, about perception itself. It's much more about some kind of use we are making of perception. In one sense or another, that use might be judgmental, might be explicit, or might be much more emitted than that, as is the case in a lot of agencies' situation. Because sometimes, when I'm acting... I'm not exactly thematizing my perception explicitly. And however, there is already some distance involved in that kind of situation. I'm already adopting some kind of attitude towards perception. I'm not just in the situation to perceive, but uh, what is involved in that case is some kind of take on perception. And that take doesn't need to be completely theoretical, completely articulated doesn't need to be judgmental. However, it's some take on perception. And at that level, of course, that makes sense to investigate into the validity of perception. But it's just because it's no longer about perception by itself, but it's about the role that perception plays in the life of a being that has also conceptual capacities. And that, it's not about perception itself.
0: Okay, so tell me if this is an accurate characterization of your view Descartes, back at the dawn of modern philosophy, wanted to answer a kind of skepticism about the external world. He wanted to answer someone who came along and said, this stuff isn't real. This chair in front of me, that's not real. I'm just dreaming it. Uh, or maybe a demon is making me dream it. And how do I know that a demon isn't making me dream it? And it seems like both you and Descartes are interested in perhaps responding to that skeptic, but you're recommending a different sort of response to a skeptic who comes along and asks, is the external world really an external world? The response you're recommending is really kind of a rejection of the question of how it's possible to be in touch with the world. It's a basic precondition on our thinking that we're in touch with the world. We can't sort of shake that off and then engage in some more abstract kind of inquiry. The fact that we're perceptually in touch with the world is a basic presupposition of our thinking about everything. The fact that we're even asking these questions in the first place, is that roughly correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that even it's completely exact terminologically in the sense that it is response uh, which is not an answer. <laughs> it's a response that precisely questions the question itself. And uh, maybe uh, one might say that even in Descartes, it's not exactly the case that he tries to answer some kind of skeptical objection. He creates it, it's completely artificial, and he's perfectly aware of that. And uh, what is interesting in all that, it is the objective. It's just about separating the mind from the world. From that point of view, the result seems to me completely artificial, But it's no surprise if the way to get it is also completely artificial. Both artificialities are completely connected. The fact that he opens up uh, a kind of investigation that isn't believable, and he's perfectly aware of that, but it helps him. Yet, at something that is even more unbelievable, that is to say the fact that the mind is supposed to be some kind of substance that is detached from the world, that is completely isolated. And that kind of metaphysical determination of the mind seems to me completely at odds with the concrete experience of what it is to think, which is some kind of very concrete use of our involvement with the world, of the way we are always already in touch with all that.
2: So one of the ways you've expressed your position is saying, as you did just now, we're already in touch with all of that. There's no gap to be bridged. But maybe one kind of intuitive way of motivating the usual philosophical approach is to say, well, we are in touch, but in different ways, right? So you and I can, in certain conditions, and philosophers have given all kinds of examples, we can stand before the same thing and somehow see it differently. I mean, I know an old example that I believe is actually physiologically incorrect, is the example of jaundice, right? So the person who has the jaundiced eye sees everything and it's yellow. Maybe that's not a correct example, but we can imagine others. Then it feels like you want to say, well, sure, we're already in touch with all that. Sure, Descartes' investigation is somehow artificial. But if we want to make sense of how you and I can stand before exactly the same thing and see it differently, we can't just take our contact with the world as basic and fundamental. We have to step back from it and work out, well, what's going on here? What's going on in between me and the world and in between you and the world that makes it appear differently?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, in that point about uh, the difference of perception uh, between different individuals, as a matter of fact, there are different aspects that are involved. First, there is the perspectival point, the fact that of course uh, perception is essentially perspectival, so it depends on uh, your point of view, depends on uh, the place you're occupying the space, uh, your geometrical relation to the object that is seen, for instance, and things like that. And it's clear that only one can occupy one definite place at the same time. So, obviously, we are not perceiving, for instance, the table exactly the same way at the same moment. There are as many different perceptions of that table as uh, there are real angles on it in the world. Uh, That makes sense, of course, but uh, that being perspectival is uh, no point against the fact that we are in relation to the thing itself. Let's say that it is one more aspect of the reality of perception, of the fact that perception is a real relation to something, because it's something that involves even our own reality, even the fact that uh, we are not outside the picture, we are at some definite position in the world. So it's something that determines the relation as a real relation. And uh, there's also the fact that uh, that being perspectival is something that is immediately involved in our individual way to perceive a thing, in the sense that, in the way we're ordinarily using the notion of perception, in the kind of sense we seem to make immediately of perception, is immediately involved the awareness of the fact that, of course, someone else, from another angle, should perceive it differently. And in some sense, it's some kind of aspect of the identification of perception, of that immediate sense of identity we have about a perception as the perception of something. On the other hand, there are, of course, the differences of equipment between different individuals and possibly even the alteration of that equipment, in the sense that it might happen that someone temporarily suffers some kind of deprivation from uh, one of his uh, sensory capacities. And from that point of view, it's clear that we are not all equal in our perception But, in my view, that point about individual peculiarities of perception, it's something that is completely empirical. It's something that belongs to the kind of reality that is the one of perception. What is very strange, it's when philosophers take that point, and from that infer some kind of, let's say, metaphysical relativity of perception. I don't know... If people who have jaundice really uh, see things uh, in yellow, I doubt it. But anyway, let's take it as some kind of fake philosopher's example. And let's admit it for the sake of the argumentation. In that case, it's something that belongs to the reality of perception, exactly as belongs to the reality of perception. The fact that uh, when I see a stick in the water, I see it broken or distorted. I don't know. But it's something that belongs to the way that kind of situation is experienced, and it's something that is common knowledge, or at least that might be common knowledge. So it's no point against the fact that perception is our way just to be in contact with the things. What is very strange is when from that philosophers infer uh, some position that consists in saying that, so, therefore we have no real contact, because it is as if our subjectivity was something in between ourselves and our perception. And it's very strange, because first, our subjectivity is just ourselves, as we are, as real beings involved in that relation with the things, that is called perception. And on the other hand, probably it is intrinsic to perception that the things look such and such way. But that point is no point separate from the sense of the reality of the thing as it is involved in perception. What I perceive, it is just the things with its properties of looking this and this way in some determinate conditions. And what is very strange, it is to try to sort out all that. And probably something that hinges on the characteristic naturalistic perspective of modernity, with the idea that, on the one hand, there are substantial properties that are independent from any kind of relation between the perceiving subject and the thing itself. And on the other hand, there should be what just belongs to the realm of a so-called look, which is just something about subjectivity. But perception is just something that destroys the limitation between those two categories. Perception is just that basic entanglement between the perceiving agent and what he is concerned about. And it's not possible to sort out like that in perception properties that should be allegedly merely subjective against properties that should be substantial in the sense of being independent of that real relation of perception itself. perception is just about the collapse of that kind of distinction with all his anomaly, even in the case in which perception is uh, something weird, something strange, it's the case in which I perceive a thing apparently in a very peculiar way, but uh, it's just one aspect of the concrete reality of perception. That doesn't mean that in that case uh, it's anything that should be completely apart from my relation with the real thing, but the point is just that in some cases that relation takes on a particular face, And as we are not used to that, or as it is exceptional, as those are not the standardized conditions, we tend to consider that in that case, it's not exactly the thing, but it's not the thing in the sense that it's not the thing as we are used to experience it. And however, it's about the thing itself. When I see the stick broken, it is some aspect of that kind of thing's look. It's exactly just how a stick looks when it is in water. But that's reality. I'm
2: reminded of a comment I think the British philosopher J.L. Austin made about precisely that example when he says, does anyone seriously imagine that a stick, if it's straight, jolly well has to look straight <laughs> under all circumstances? <laughs> of course they don't. If you know what sticks are, you know that when they're put in water, they look bent. So what's the
1: problem? Yeah, it's and clear that my position, just an observation, it's clear that mm-hmm. my position is pretty close to a kind of strict perceptual realism that was endorsed by uh, J.L. Austin in connection with uh, ordinary language philosophy.
2: And what's nice about that is that it really turns the objection round on its head. So where we started was with these differences in the way you see something and the way I see something, these perspectival differences, as you've called them. That looked like a problem for a perception of an independent reality. It looked like, well, now this gives us a kind of mystery. If we see these things in different ways from different places how can they be the same things how can there be this independent reality and what you've said is well what else would you expect (laughs) exactly Uh, given that we're different beings we're located in different places things appear to us in different ways sometimes underwater sometimes above the water of course they'll look different that's exactly what it's like to see things so there's a really nice way in which this position kind of turns the normal objection on its head
1: Yeah, of course, I agree completely with that. What is very strange is that there is that tendency of philosophers to step back from perception and after that to wonder how it might be the case that it is exactly what it is. But of course, all that is substantial to our concept of perception. We cannot uh, just abstract from all that and after that wonder how there might be perception because it's just what perception is.
0: Uh, I'd like to return to a point you made at the very beginning. We started off by distinguishing the work of the philosopher from the work of psychologists, cognitive scientists, neuroscientists, and so on, by saying that philosophers primarily are interested in doing conceptual analysis and analyzing the concept of perception and thinking about how we use the term. And then you qualified that a bit by saying that, well, actually, philosophers sometimes do have reason to take an interest in new results in cognitive science, neuroscience, and so on. I was curious to hear um, whether you had an example of how that might happen. Let's
1: say that in the kind of tradition I was educated in, that is the phenomenology, there is that strong interest in Gestalt psychology. Even today, I think that there are really striking facts about perception that, for instance, that kind of psychology establishes. Even in the more recent literature, for instance, there is something that is not completely connected to Gestalt, but that, of course, uh, today is uh, dealt with with other tools. That is to say, for instance, the notion of perceptual features. And uh, that kind of uh, psychological tools, they seem to me very uh, interesting, because, for instance, there is a very empirical question about perception. And uh, that empirical question seems to be, let's say, not unconnected to some traditional philosophical concern about perception, and it's not that easy to tell apart both things. Let's pose a problem in uh, the following way. One might ask whether to perceive it is essentially to perceive objects. That might be a way to formulate the question. There is that kind of claim of intentionality that you find, for instance, in the phenomenological tradition. That is to say, to insist on the idea that to perceive it is to perceive something, every perception is perception of, something, and so on. And in my view, that kind of physical point, as such, it doesn't mean much, because in some sense it's trivial. It's a point about the grammar of what we call perception. Obviously, if I use the verb to perceive, or any kind of verb of perception, to see, to hear, and anyone, uh, all that is transitive. It is intrinsic to uh, the kind of problems I might be concerned in when I call something perception. If I call it perception, it is of course because it is about something and as far as it is about something. Otherwise, I would use other kind of terms. So that point about intentionality of perception, it's not that exciting. It's some kind of grammatical feature. From that point of view, my position wouldn't be uh, so far away from uh, what, for instance, Elizabeth Anscombe says in her famous essay about the intentionality of sensation. We might, uh, transpose that point about perception to some extent, even if I'm not buying myself completely the concept of sensation, but that's another problem. But once we have said that, there remains that question, which is not grammatical, but completely empirical, about, let's say, what is the privileged format of perception, on what kind of structures we are primarily focusing when we perceive. And to say that they are objects it might be a substantial thesis. It might be a thesis that is no longer grammatical because, in the concept of object, in some use of it, might be involved some kind of, of strong sense of identity, for instance, some strong conditions of individuation. So, it might be a real question. As to that question, contemporary psychological research gives a lot of material because there is that, all that kind of study about uh, our attention to identities when we perceive, how far are we focusing on some definite thing, our capacity to track the move of that thing in the space, things like that. And it's clear that the perceptual space as such is not completely homogeneous. It is uh, characterised by some kind of saliences. And among those saliences, there is probably some kind of object salience. It seems that uh, at some level perception has a tendency to organise itself around definite things with some kind of mechanism that of course is not to be identified at all with a mechanism of a predication because it would be some kind of grammatical mistake to transpose that kind of problem onto the mere perceptual experience. But however, the analogy might work to some extent because there is that point that we tend to perceptually connect some dimensions of appearing to some kind of privileged poles that are characterized by other aspects we are perceiving. So there is that kind of object organization of perception. And however, it's not uh, the whole thing about perception Uh, There are other psychological studies that are emphasizing the fact that in perception I might be concerned not only with objects, but as essentially with features, with some kind of local occurrences. And however, it's also a principle of organization. I can have some kind of perception. Let's say that perception uh, might involve some dimension. That is not as much uh, perspectively organized in the sense of classical perspective, but perception might also look much more like Mondrian. There is also that possibility to be perceptually involved with a scene in which there are, for instance, color strikes and there is that dimension of rhythm in the scene. And uh, to make sense of the kind of saliences uh, there are in that kind of experience and the kind of of immediate commitment to the scene we have at the level of perception. In that case, probably, the vocabulary of the object is not the best. We have to introduce other kinds of concepts, like, for instance, the concept of feature, as it is used by contemporary psychologists of perception, In my view, in the contemporary psychological research about perception, there are very interesting results, just because, in some sense, it might oblige the philosopher to have a more open concept of perception. Because when the philosopher is interested in perception, very usually, he just arrives with very heavy, very generic categories, and he's not sensitive to the variety of the perceptual experience. And I think that the psychological research can help us make sense of that variety, of that diversity, and uh, which sheds some light also on the diversity of uses we might make of perception. Because if perception itself is something very diverse, with some kind of intrinsic richness and complexity, it's clear that it allows a lot of diverse uses. As far as it's about uses, philosophy might be concerned, because philosophy has something to tell about the conceptual determinations of those uses.
0: Okay, I think uh, maybe we'll end on that delightful pluralist note. Jocelyn Benoit, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. To listen to future episodes of Elucidations, you may consult our website at philosophy.uchicago.edu slash podcasts.